Welcome to Ahead of the Game, a podcast brought to you by the Digital Marketing Institute, giving you insights from industry experts to supercharge your marketing skills. Today, it's the modern mindset, where we explore those soft skills that are so vital to develop in your career. And this episode is all about strategy implementation through co-collaboration. In other words, making your marketing strategy actually work for your organization or your client. I'm Will Francis, and today I'm talking to Julie Atherton, a digital marketer with 30 years of experience working with global brands including Nissan, AXA, Deloitte, ASOS, and many more. Julie's book, Social Media Strategy, Practical Guide to Social Media Marketing and Customer Engagement, was published in 2019, and it's widely referred to by industry and academia alike. So having literally wrote the book on the subject, I'm looking to learn how we can implement a social media strategy successfully. Julie, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, really great to be here. Thanks for asking me. Oh, it's great. Good to have you on. And this is a really important subject that I know our listeners will, uh, if they work in marketing already, will struggle with. And if they don't work in marketing yet, well, they're going to struggle with. Um, so we talked on a previous episode about creating a social media strategy. And I can say from my experience that in reality, the implementation, that's where the bigger challenge lies. You know, So particularly with a client, that process can be a minefield and it can leave you with that sinking feeling that all your hard work creating a social media strategy might not ultimately reach its potential. So later we'll get into the details of how our listeners can drive better implementation, hopefully giving them lots of tips from our hard-won experience. But first of all, I'd love to hear your thoughts just generally on the challenge of implementation. Yeah, so I think I think one of the the biggest challenge I think for an organization um, in implementing any strategy is often there is a lack of understanding on exactly what that strategy is trying to do and how um, those objectives will be measured. And I think that's because often the strategy creation process is a black box and not enough people are asked to input into that and to share their experiences and ideas. And also the strategy itself may not actually be linked to the most important objectives of the organisation. Say we're doing a social media strategy. If a social media strategy is created in isolation within a social media team, it may not integrate effectively with the rest of the business businesses marketing strategy in the way that it needs to and it may not be clear how that social media strategy is impacting on the core organizational objectives so if if an organization is trying to increase market share or um, drive long-term you know lifetime value long-term lifetime value or increase sales and a social media strategy has been created to increase the number of followers and improve engagement, there's no comprehension in the business about what that social media strategy is trying to do or achieve, and therefore nobody really understands what it's doing and why. Why does it sometimes seem hard once you think all the hard work's done because you've created this strategy that makes total sense 
And then you try and implement it with a client or within a, your organization. And you find out that actually there's various levels of resistance around a business to it. And, or, and there's various reasons why the strategy just doesn't quite fit in. It doesn't quite screw on to all the other moving parts of the machine. Why is that? So the reason I think for that is I think that we often aren't very clear about who owns what in terms of that strategy delivery. So who's the owner? Who's the person who's actually going to be responsible for executing it? And what actually are we going to prioritize? You know, what what are the important bits that we have to do? And what are the bits that are the nice to haves that have alongside that? And so I think what we need to be clear about when we're implementing the strategy is our own personal impact on that as individuals within the organization and where we've got control to use our own personal judgment and where we haven't. So that if, we've all, if we're clear about what the goals are, if we've got a very good roadmap and we've got clear roles and responsibilities, then actually when I'm executing that strategy, I will feel confident enough to interpret that and flex that in the moment to make it work better. If I don't understand that strategy, I don't know what my role is and I don't know where my responsibilities lie, then I will either do things so mechanically and so, you know, step one, step two, step three, um, that I there's no imagination and I'm, I won't be taking advantage of the opportunities or I'll just won't have the buy-in, the enthusiasm or the interest in making it work and it will just be done in a very half-hearted way. And so when I get pushback from Department A or Department B, I won't really understand how to be able to explain to them what the positive benefits are and, and to actually push that through. So I think I think that's my challenge, really. I think people just don't own it. They don't feel like it's theirs. You mean the people trying to implement it or the people that it's being presented to in the business they just feel like it's been foisted upon them and uh, they don't really feel like they were ever a part of creating that and they don't really feel like it's theirs to be you know got gotten behind bought into well generally there's a hierarchy isn't there so the person who's writing the strategy or signing off that strategy is generally more senior within the organization. Mm. And if we do all of the work at that level, um, they they might not know anything about how to actually execute and, and you know, write the content, um, what the challenges are with doing things that's, uh, you know, they might not actually understand the complexities of delivery to the detailed level that the person who's implementing that strategy does. Mm. And so if we don't involve the person who's implementing it, as well as the person who's writing or signing off that strategy, then when it comes to delivery, the problems of implementation arrive at the delivery stage rather than being baked in as part of the creation of that strategy stage so if you involve a wider spectrum of people in that creation you actually are creating a strategy that's executable with the resources that you have and that's brought into by the people who are going to execute it rather than it just being done at that senior more senior level yeah i suppose that's that's the challenge i think is that 
you know, there's a, a disconnect between delivery and and um, the person signing it off. And, and that's within the marketing team, but also goes across the organization. Because if you're writing a marketing or a social strategy, it doesn't just affect the marketing team. It affects the sales team. It affects the customer service team. It affects the product development team. So actually, if you were to include a wider spectrum across the organization as well in creating that strategy you would you would by definition create a strategy that's more easily implementable because some of the problems in implementation will have been identified in that discussion initially but also you're probably going to create a better strategy because you'll get ideas from those people that will input into the strategy which will make it more creative and more relevant yeah i mean i i'm it, it feels like we're saying that the architects need to talk to the bricklayers as they're yeah, as they're definitely. drawing up their plans is is essentially kind of what we're saying um i think that's true i mean i think where where i've struggled with that i mean um one of the first pieces of strategy work i did was for a national newspaper in the uk and went in as the consultants and was hired by the head of digital, who was quite new. And I think people were just getting used to him being around. Then he brings in these kind of social strategists, me and my business partner, and we start creating strategy. And it, and and we wanted to put social at the heart of everything they did: their monetization efforts, their journalism, reporting, content, and uh, you know. So it did bleed into all areas of the business. And whilst I think you know, I think it went well in the end. There was a awful lot of winning over of skeptical people to do there um that we weren't some sort of flash in the pan you know fad sellers who just sort of you know got on our mate to pay us some money to bring us in kind of thing and i i think that's and that that was that's something a pattern that i've seen repeat again and again is that there's just a lot of winning over of people to get them to understand that this you know, this is something we're going to have to put at the heart of your business. And it's not going to necessarily show you up or, you know, show you up as being stupid or old fashioned or a dinosaur. It's going to help you. And it's going to be something that's quite fun and exciting and creative. And there'll be creative opportunities for you. And it's giving people that sense, isn't it? Because otherwise, it's just something that's foisted upon them that pushing a dinner that they don't want don't want to eat and that they don't even know what's in it at them, you know? I think as well, I think it's a really good point that you've made there because um, in social media, I think that's even more dangerous. And the reason it's more difficult is because um, there's a lot of fear of the unknown. So many people, um, yeah, they might have their own like Facebook or Instagram account that, you know, and go on YouTube and stuff in their personal lives. But as soon as they're being expected to do it from a, um, a work perspective, they become very, very anxious about how to behave and what to write and, ha- and what they can and cannot do. And um, and if they're not confident in social, and then they're being asked to do it from a from a work point of view to execute that strategy. So a typical example would be a sales force. So you know, a lot of sales forces are really brilliant at face to face networking, using the phone. Um, you know, maybe they use email as part of their armory, but they've got this kind of whole sort of sales process they're really, really confident with. And then if you say to them, well, actually, LinkedIn is a fantastic um, 
addition to that armory of your sales um, toolkit, um, they're like, oh, well, no, I don't I don't think social media, I don't think LinkedIn is the right place to be making sales. Or they feel very unconfident in that area because they don't know how to behave in that environment. Mm. And so what we've got to give them is not only the strategy itself, but the confidence and the toolkit to be able to use that, to deliver that strategy and recognize where that experience isn't, you know, expertise isn't there. So when I was part of a digital agency and we actually created our own social media strategy for the agency for our B2B um, purposes. Um, And we did that with a variety of staff across the business, so allowed it as a sort of learning opportunity. Uh, and one, when we when we got to the point where we wanted to execute it, we realised that it, it it needed the senior management team and the board to be able to use LinkedIn effectively. And we found there was only probably three members of that team who could use Link, who were currently using LinkedIn effectively. There were lots of people who were on it, but they weren't using it in the way that we needed them to use it. So we had to go through a training process, um, you know, optimising their profiles teaching them the kind of techniques that we wanted them to use and providing them with the right kind of content that would enable them to be effective um, people within the LinkedIn environment for our business rather than just being on LinkedIn for their own purposes and you know chatting to some of their friends that they knew there. Yeah no I, I get that. Okay so let's say our listeners have uh created their social media strategy they've been tasked with that either internally in the business they work in or for a client that they're working for so they've got this gorgeous 100 page powerpoint presentation supporting documentation the works have you got any tips on how someone can go about successfully get kind of getting buy-in for the ideas the processes that they want to introduce to that business and and ultimately implement for social media success so so first of all i would recommend that you don't have a hundred page document um (laughs) (laughs) that's where i've been going wrong so normally i would say maximum 20 powerpoint slides with not much on them um so that would be how i i I think you need something very short and clear and succinct, which delivers um, exactly what you need to do. So these are our objectives. This is how we're going to measure it. This is the insight we've got, our audience, you know, how we're going to position ourselves. And and this is the lay down plan. So, you know, very, very simple, I think, is what I would go with because people get very confused if there's too much information. Um, and I think my 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 key thing is is what were the inputs that went in there in the beginning and so when you're creating that strategy try and cast that wet that net widely so try and involve people from across the organization customers and um, people within the team that are going to execute it and be clear about what their role is they're not writing a strategy but you want to make sure that their voice is heard and is used in that strategy. And there's lots of great techniques, seven questions, for example, that um, are enable you to get that, to capture those insights and that voice. And then, you know, you'll use all your other, other tools that you're going to use to create strategy. 
Um, but I think if you if you demonstrated that that's been done and you play back how you've used that, you are much more likely to get some buy-in across the business for delivery. Mm. And then, as I say, make sure you people have the skills and the confidence that they can deliver it and give them an opportunity to voice where they think they may need support in that and put that that in place in some form or other. Um, so so that that would be my my core recommendations. I think if you then empower people to then deliver that with the support, they surprise you in their ability to do it better than you imagined rather than what we're talking about which is so often we feel disappointed that they haven't done it as well as we imagined um and i think that's been that's been my core learning i think over the years i mean i've been that's been my that's my skill set you know i'm a strategist so i've done it badly Uh, i've done it brilliantly i hope um but you know uh, you probably learn more from the ones that didn't go so well than yep. you learn from the ones that went really really well um and um and i think it is about that you know when i when i work with my clients um i only really work in this co-creation way um and part of the delivery is this um touch point afterwards to ensure people feel they've got that support in the execution so they've got someone they can go to and talk to and just ask while they're doing that execution as well as being involved in the creation so it's as much your job to guide a client to finding the answers you know as uh, it's not just your job to provide all the answers and all the what to do it's partly about guiding the client there as well and getting them to be part of that and because they will like you say, they will find things and they will come up with things creatively that um, are better than you could have done. And they know their business. They know their brand. They know the other competing challenges they have within their organization for people's time and effort and energy. So I spent the first part of my career actually working client side for a global publisher. And um, so I kind of remember that, you know, it was when you're in an agency environment or a consultancy environment it's very easy to think that the work that you're doing is the most important thing that's happening in their day and actually it's probably the least important thing that's happening in their day Mm. and you know they've got all these other challenges within the organization that you will not really know um you know you can ask you can ask you can get a feel for what the politics are you can you know read all the documents you can go to meetings about the you know about what their overarching vision is and all those kind of things read their brand guidelines but you you're not you're not in their business and the advantage of you not being in the business is you can think laterally think differently bring a challenge and a different perspective and a fresh outlook and and hold a mirror up for them to really interrogate what they're trying to do so you bring huge advantages but if you don't let them bring their knowledge experience understanding and um and uncertainties into that process into that strategy development process then when they have to execute it all of those things come out at that stage and that's too late mm. because you could have taken those into consideration in the, in the strategy creation itself. 
Yeah, that's 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 very true. I think, you know, some extra elements I've noticed from my experience, and I don't know if it's just me, I think there's a big human element to it. I think part of it for me has been making sure I get in front of people that are going to be involved, get them to know me and get them to, you know, be, get beyond me just being some person who emails them or, you know, be some remote entity. And uh, because by getting in front of people and talking to people, they just get to like you. And I think that's really important. And I think that the more that you get you yourself, your ideas and your strategy in front of people together, the more they can get behind it because they want to be part of what you're doing because they trust you and they, they feel like they know that your intentions are good because they've looked you in the eye and they've chatted to you and in some cases perhaps even been for a drink in the pub with you and whatever you know and whatever however you feel it's appropriate i mean what i've found as well when you go into create a social media strategy one of the initial phases is this is it's kind of an audit phase and i i see fear i see a lot of fear when you go into particularly a client so they're all new people and they're seeing you and you're talking about you're going to audit they're social and you see the fear that they're going to be pulled up on why they haven't been doing things as optimally as possible. And it's you have to reassure people, look, that's OK. That's why we're here. You've been too busy to do things as optimally as possible and no one's going to be pulled up or made to look stupid. We're just here to help improve what you're doing and bring that external perspective and bring external skills and, and bring, lift everyone up, actually, and not bring anyone down. And Yeah, I, I can't agree with that enough actually so I don't actually call it an audit phase because I think the word audit has a it sounds like you're being marked you know and assessed um so I call it insight and immersion which is about how do we drive insight from what's been happening to date and how do we really immerse ourselves in what your priorities and your um, challenges are and um, and and who who you are as a brand and who your customers are and all those kind of things. So I, I think sometimes we just need to think about exactly what you're saying. How how what language do we use to talk about what we're doing and how do we make sure exactly as you said that we're really approachable and people feel like they can tell us any you know the things that might not be great to hear but they if they feel that they can trust us. You know, I used to run um, quite large planning and strategy teams. Planners and strategists are kind of egomaniacs a lot of the time, and they think they really are the cleverest person in the room. And, you know, one of the things that's really important for them is to how do they become more humble? How do they make sure they're really listening, actively listening to um, consumers, customers, prospects? How are they actively listening to the client, the business, to the you know, where are they really making sure not only they've got the most brilliant ideas, but actually that those brilliant ideas and strategies are executable within the confines and constricts of the business they're working with. And if you can't do um, the latter of those, then it doesn't matter how great that strategy is. It's not never gonna. It's never gonna work or, or be done in the way that you imagined, and, and everyone will just end up feeling frustrated. Hello, a quick reminder from me that if you're enjoying our podcast series, why not become a member of the DMI so that you can enjoy loads more content from webinars and case studies to toolkits and more real life insights from the world of digital marketing. Head to digitalmarketinginstitute.com forward slash ahead of the game. Sign up for free. Now back to the podcast. 
and, and we've, we've used the word strategy probably a hundred times in the last half hour. Um, it, it, it is a thing. It's, a, it's an actual thing. And, and a lot of people are still a bit in the dark in, as, as to what it actually is. I mean, what do you think, uh, as a way that you can explain in an audio podcast without visuals, what do you think is a good format for a strategy to take, you know, uh, specifically in terms of documentation, structure, presentation? So. Yeah. So as I say, ultimately, you, you will do loads and loads of work um, to um, to come up with the, the final strategy. There'll be lots of reading and research and background um, work that's done. But importantly, I think you, you need to be able to condense that down into the key elements and keep it quite short and succinct and um, uh, and evidenced but you know as to why you think it is what it is the strategy is is what it is so I would say you know probably 20 slides powerpoint slides would be a good um way to Mm. demonstrate that strategy because um by by its very nature rather than it being a word document it makes it be more succinct because you're bullet pointing what you're trying to do and you're keeping it quite short um and some sort of visuals within there are usually good to help with that and then i would break it down you know what are the objectives how are we going to measure this uh over what time period is it going to happen and what are the insights that that created the strategy from an audience perspective, from a brand perspective, um, you know, uh, where and and what are the key insights that have, that have, have generated that? And then how are we going to execute that? So, you know, what is the positioning that we're going to take and the campaigns that we're going to run? So I think that would be for me, because what a strategy is, is a roadmap. It's saying we're currently here, and we need to get to here. And these are the elements that we need to do. This is what we need to do in order to get there. And this is why I've chosen these things. And that why is really important. So that's the insights, that have, the, the reasons why you're doing it, those insights that you've driven out. Yeah, and I think that the, the pressure to simplify it for me is driven by the fact that I learned early on that no one goes back and looks at this stuff, almost no one anyway. You know, no one kind of has a quiet lunch hour and thinks, hmm, I might go and have a breeze through that social media strategy that the guys presented last week. Um, so I think it's really important to understand that and make make what you say easily memorable. Even using mnemonics in, you know, certain situations. I mean, one example is that, you know, in social strategies before where I've outlined tone of voice for a brand, one thing I've done is caps- encapsulated that as a well-known celebrity. You know, we've done all this huge amount of work and brainstorming and keywords on whiteboards, but ultimately people won't remember that. They won't remember all these statements, do's and don'ts. They may not know and ever go and look at them. So it's easier to boil it down and go, you sound like um, someone like um, Graham Norton in the UK or Jay Leno in the US or something. And then people go, okay, yeah, I get that. I get how witty I should be. I get how human and conversational I should be. I get what my next tweet should sound like and what have you. And, um, and that's just one example. But I think that unless it's memorable, it's it's unlikely that people are going to go back and review this stuff. So succinctness is so important. Yeah. And, and, and I think um, 
when we're trying to um, create, uh, you know, brand guidelines are a, a great, you know, you're talking about tone of voice, but, you know, we think about brand guidelines, which would include that tone of voice. Um, you know, on social, often we are flexing what, how we normally behave as a brand because of those different environments that we're in. So when we get to execution, you know, on LinkedIn and on Twitter, we will have a slightly different tone of voice because of the environment that we're in you don't speak in the same way you don't you know the formality is slightly different versus informality so actually some of these challenges that people aren't sure about how they should behave in these channels we need to flesh that out we need to talk about well why would you you know rather than it just being a written down um list actually ask people to explore you know well why would they be different in that space or should they be different in that space and then they can kind of understand it then and they kind of feel it rather than exactly in the way that you say about the celebrity you then feel what the execution needs to be not just um know what the execution needs to be and i think i think that um you know that that clarity and that simplification is really important at every stage because you're right people don't go back and read it all and although you might feel really clever that you've written a really long document that everyone thinks wow that's amazing actually if it's simpler and clearer and shorter um, and people can just get it um, then it's much better so you know that's why I love things like um you know, in content strategy, the hero hub hygiene model that Google have, you know, you've got these, you've got the big idea, you've got the smaller bits, smaller um, contacts that are, you know, continuously um, keeping that momentum going. And then you've got your always on content, the hygiene content that's just there all the time that people um, find when they need it. So you've, you've broken down, a, you can see how you would write your strategy making sure that you built it around those three things you've got clarity going through the whole strategy and it's really simple and everyone can understand it and they know which bit they're working on and following on from that you know so yeah you've got this beautifully succinct clear strategy to what extent should it remain flexible uh, when should we review it how um how much can it change uh, and flex depending on your learnings as you go? So I think I think that's really important, actually, that you have a built-in um, review and, and and as you describe it, sort of flexing of that strategy. But we need it to be um, done in a kind of measured way. So generally what I would do with a social media strategy is – we would set up at the beginning what our core um, plan is, and a, and a three month a three monthly cycle is generally a good place to be, depending on what sector you're in and you know what your where you are in kind of um, the brand lifestyle or a product lifestyle. It might change, but you know if we use a three month example, so a quarterly example, on a quarterly basis, I would be doing a full review of what's been going on with that strategy, looking at the core objectives, how they're meeting our uh, business and brand objectives, how we're meeting our campaign objectives, mm. and what are the levers that are working, you know, what types of content and things that are, that are working that we can, we can maneuver. So I would be doing a full review on a quarter and maybe doing um, 
new content ideation um, and putting down a, a top level um, lay down plan for the next quarter on a quarterly basis. So that's a kind of rolling program. Mm. Um, but on the as campaigns are running, as the um, we're executing those, there are these levers that we can pull on a hourly, daily, um, post by post basis. You know, so we should have analysts that are reviewing the core levers at least weekly um, to be able to maneuver and manipulate that you know we wouldn't send out an email campaign to 100% of our volume in one go we would test you know subject line uh, images um, time of day day of week you know all of these things and then on a small volume and then we would roll out the optimum version of that to everybody well that's the same in social you know we we need to be looking at what content's working um is video better than images um you know if we change our um call to action what effect does that have if we if we you know if we change the day or week or time of day that we go out what effect does that have and so while the campaign although we've got objectives and for each campaign as we're executing it we should be building in these this flexing um but it's flexing within the parameters of making that campaign work so that we can then get to the end of that period and review the whole thing and see what we can learn from that to then build into the optimization of the next piece of activity. Yeah. So I think, you know, we have an annual plan, then those quarterly sort of um, enhancements based on results today, and then the individual um, monitoring of the, of the execution of particular campaigns. Hmm. And you can only do all that if you agree right up front what your dashboards are. So I I would say three levels of dashboard. So what are the KPIs I'm looking at at business level? So the overall strategy, what's the impact of what I'm doing having on the overall annual strategy? Yeah. Then what what am I looking at as a manager level, sort of the things that are the core successes of each campaign, which is really that quarterly, uh, building up to those quarterly reviews. And then what are the levers I'm pulling at an analyst level that are the daily tweaking and maneuvering to optimize the activity that I'm doing. And, and that's the way that I would look at execution. And there'll be different owners of those three levels and each part will feed into the other, but there should be a clear sort of linking between them um, and, and, and clear accountability for each of them as well. Yes. And uh, thinking about KPIs and objectives, how do you go about setting expectations and aligning those with uh, the, the KPIs and the objectives that you set in your strategy? Most channels, it's really, really easy to, to measure ROI. And often for a business that becomes a core metric or measure the number of leads or the number of sales. Um, sometimes in social, it's not as easy to do that because you have social media teams that talk about engagement and followers and they don't really articulate very well across the rest of the business. So I think it's really important to make sure that whatever metric you're using within, say, a social strategy, um, that you have translated that, that metrics effect 
on the core business objectives. So if your C-suite is talking about brand value and brand recall and all of these kind of things, then, then um, you know, how does your sentiment analysis or how does your um, reach have an impact on those things and how are you measuring that impact so that you're part of that conversation even though you're doing it in a different way, because it will be fundamentally important to those things. But if you haven't joined those dots up, when um, your board level C-suite are talking about those issues, they won't be considering um, the measurable impact that social has on those activities. And therefore, it's more difficult for you to get budget and all of those kind of things for the things you need to do yeah I, I i recently saw gary vaynerchuk the very famous social media marketing expert say asking what the roi on social media is is like asking what the roi on your mum is and i i i, I what he's getting at there is that there will there will always be some element of social media that you just cannot tie back to those uh, business metrics and that it is it is a part of your brand marketing that, you know, ultimately every pound or minute spent, every dollar or minute spent on social just can't be tracked all the way through to a business result such as a sale. I think it can be done in some ways, though, if you don't need to look at the absolute minutiae of what's going on. So, for instance, you know, if you've got a certain um, net promoter score, maybe net promoter score is often a very core metric for a lot of brands that they use um, to determine, you know, so this is how likely somebody is to recommend you. Um, You can track your net promoter score or your brand um, recall score, you know, through the standard um, analysis that you that you um, used to measure that at all, uh, for, you know across the business um, and you can track that based on the level of social media activity you have um, alongside that and see if there's an impact and improvement when you're you know getting positive and high engagement within social whether those things go up or down so you can see that there whether there's some um, you know relationship it may not be a direct relationship but you can monitor whether it's a direct relationship or not um, so there are things that you can do there. There are things that you can do by identifying, um, you know, sometimes social can be a place which identifies problems or issues for your brand um, that you're facing and you wouldn't know about them to the same extent if you weren't in social. So you take a brand like McDonald's who I think it started in Brazil, but it's around the world now. They realised that people were really unhappy with McDonald's. They made lots of disparaging comments about McDonald's, saying that they put things, put um, beaks in their nuggets, and you know things. That where did their beef come from, and all this kind of stuff. So really, really negative comments. And they found this on social. All this stuff was coming out in social media. So, well, God, there's all this negative sentiment about us as a brand. And we really believe that we're a great organization and we use really high quality products um, and ingredients. And um, so how are we going to get around this? So what they actually did was they they used the insight from social to generate frequently asked questions. And then they 
created really lovely content that they put on their website, in their social feeds, used to answer these questions in a non-defensive way and actually have influencers who go and visit chicken nugget factories and things like that um, to transform the opinion that people have of McDonald's. And um, so, you know, some of the things, so that has had a fundamental positive impact on McDonald's around the world. But you can't measure on this campaign, it, you know, it did this, but actually it has changed people's attitude to McDonald's, which has driven an increase in sales, which has driven an increase in lifetime value. And the third area where I think we can have more transparency is, you know, this dark social where we think sort of probably up to 80% of um, sharing is is hidden from brands. But there are lots of things that we can do, you know, using short bitly codes, using branded links. Um, and you're talking, just, just to be clear about in dark social, you're talking about the non-public uh, arenas such as WhatsApp, Snapchat, Telegram, TikTok, Discord. Yeah, and people and people doing things like um, copying, pasting a link, and sticking it in an email. Yeah, you know, which you don't actually see. So there are lots of things that we can do that bring transparency to that journey, and we can, and so we can measure it. You know, by having codes that we can measure. I mean, I I I with my clients, we use different con. We do use different. Um, uh, links, different codes for different types of content. Yeah. So we can see where that content ends up um, and think, oh, actually, you know, it might have started in social, but it's ended up here. Mm. So, you know, so we can we can track it that way. So I think there are lots of things we can do to have more transparency. I think it's wrong to say you can't measure ROI. You certainly can. Lots of t- channels have, um, uh, you know, purchasing platform. And... Um, which is very easy to measure ROI. And I think we can measure the impact that social is having on our brand and our brand reputation um, and our net promoter score. If we put those, you know, if we agree how we're going to do that up front when we do the strategy. Yes. Well, that's that's true. And I suppose the, the final question I, I really want to ask you is, how do you know when a strategy is actually working? I think a strategy may not always achieve the objectives that you've set out for at the beginning in terms of uh, you know the goals that you have we know we often are set very challenging targets in organizations so you know we're going to have 20 percent growth year on year and i want you to write me a strategy of how to do that and but you haven't got any more money in order to do that so you'll write the strategy to do that in the best possible way that you can um, and you'll have metrics in there that will assess how well you're doing against those targets. So obviously, if you hit all those metrics, then your strategy is working. But I think in every strategy that you write, I would recommend that you also um, identify the things you want to learn um, that will uh, provide you with a better foundation for the next campaign or the next piece of work that you do, the next strategy that you do. And therefore, even if you don't hit the overall targets, if you've learned um, some significant information along the way that will improve the activity that you're doing in the future, I think that will also be a success. Mm. So I think there are two; those two elements are both equally important. And sometimes we we 
don't try and do the learning, but actually we need to invest a little bit of time and effort in things that we're going to learn. So that's having some testing in there as well as some rollout activity. And it's being aware of what the next opportunity might be. So I, I'm big, um, a big follower of trends and also thinking about what the current meta trends are mm. that will affect us in the future. So in social, you touched on it when you talked about privacy. That's been a meta trend that's been going on for some time. I, I, I don't think it's played out yet. And we need to be very aware of how people are moving more and more into ephemeral content and private social conversations, smaller groups rather than these big public and environments and therefore as a brand where is it right for us to be in that public space and where is it right for us to be engaging in that private space and we should be trying out some of those private spaces if not using some of those private spaces now um, to be able to um, continue to be effective because things are always changing you know who knows what's going to happen with TikTok over the next few months um and certainly although facebook is as big as it ever was our behaviors in there have completely changed so we need to be really ready for that next step and if we're not we haven't got their learning in there the strategy isn't really a complete success i don't think even if you hit all the targets yeah i like that that's a really g good point about setting about valuing the learning that comes out of this activity and it's 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 something that you never really see but it should be put in the strategy from the outset that this, yeah. this is one of the pieces of business value we will derive from this strategy it's not all going to be about driving sales and growing our audience we're actually going to learn something and that's we're going to actually measure that you know how much learning and insight do we get out of this yeah that drives value in the business in the long term um, which so I think that's something that's definitely worth considering putting in our strategies uh, alongside those uh, more obvious business metrics. Yeah, so one of the things I do when I'm um, agreeing objectives um, with um, in, in this co-creational approach that I have is I never ask one person to tell me what their objectives are. So mm. I'll get everyone to individually give me what their vision for success is, what they want to achieve from it, and then we will discuss as a team which what our priorities are and it's really interesting because if you don't do that what you end up with is the most senior person in the room says what they want which is sales you know generally yeah um and then um nobody else feels like they can then have a voice to disagree with what they think so you never really get a discussion about it but actually um very often there that you end up with a slight a different prioritization of objectives um if and they might not be what the originally the most senior person thought they wanted to achieve if you open up that discussion on what we really want to get out of this at the beginning and have a bit of a, a, a managed conversation about that. Um, and everyone kind of explores that in a safe way by being able to share their, their views, um, uh, you know, anonymously before anyone else um before before that discussion so yeah so there's a lot of ways that we can we can challenge um what we mean by success 
Um, and if we don't challenge it at the outset of strategy creation, what happens is you finish the project and everyone goes, oh, yeah, well, I don't know. I don't even know why we were doing that. I didn't know that wasn't really what I wanted to get out of it. And then you kind of like, even though you've hit every metric, it's nobody's happy because it wasn't really what was wanted. That's a really good point. You know, if you ask people around the business what they would like to get out of a new and more effective social media strategy, you'd get a range of answers, not just more customers, more sales. Yeah, and get and getting new customers is a really, really expensive thing to do. You know, they're so expensive. Um, and actually, if we can drive more value from existing customers or um, or encourage existing customers to become advocates on our behalf and refer us on our behalf, um, then you know we will have a, a, a probably a much more sustainable revenue model, mm. and we'll also have a much more um, uh, you know m- much more committed kind of customer base, or the lifetime value might be better. And I think also. Um, you know taking some of those customers on the journey that we're going on as a brand as an organization can help us um, evolve as a business so for instance one of my favorite brands is um, and organizations is the guardian and i've been a guardian reader of my entire adult life and i have the app and um uh, you know, so I, I, I'm a subscriber to the Guardian, so the Guardian newspaper. So they um, they change their business model from being you pay to um, see content like most newspapers and and publishing organisations do yep. to to a voluntary contribution to support the values that the Guardian stands for. And now they've got a subscription model and they've got all sorts of add-on services that you can pay for as well on top of that. When they first did it, everyone just was like, this is madness. This will never work, never, never work. Their brand is so strong around the world with the people who read The Guardian and the belief in what they stood for as a business, as an organization was so strong that they managed to do that. And they made the people who... Um, worse giving them um, you know donations or deciding to subscribe feel like they were part of the guardian you were not just reading the newspaper you were supporting independent journalism and suddenly you've changed the whole relationship between the reader and the journalist between the organization and its um, and its followers and and that is a fundamental understanding in not short-term sales, but in long-term brand value and in a real commitment to building a relationship with um, its readership. And the results have been phenomenal. They've gone into profit, you know, which is pretty hard to do in journalism, you know, in, in the newspaper world. And, no, and they had a real backlash when they did it. But I... I really believe that, you know, that was a strategy that understood what the long-term goal was, was prepared to take a short-term hit for that and stay true to a belief, but built on, you know, on a real, uh, on bringing with them, not only their um, journalists and this, and, you know, in their investment, their their charitable trust, but building that investment trust in, in them and also their customer base. You know, they really 
yeah, they did a very good job. It's really interesting. And now, now they've got a subscription model, which of course is much more sustainable than a piecemeal content purchase model that was before. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And if if you if you just sell on the what, you're commoditizing and you're just in the, you know the example of a newspaper, you're just pumping out content, seeing if people want it. But if you actually find the people that share your values and beliefs and take them on the mission with you, um, you have a long-term loyal band of followers who will do anything for you and will tell all their friends on and offline uh, why they should too. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting example. Um, Julie, well, I'm, I'm aware that um, time ticks on and uh, we've, we have run out of time, I'm afraid. I've absolutely loved talking to you about this stuff because I feel like I've learned so much myself and I'm sure our listeners have as well. And um, it's stuff that people really need to hear and think about and engage with because it's... Um, you know, this the idea of implementing uh, strategy successfully is just as important as uh, the the fun part of creating it all. So thanks for all your insights on that. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I've enjoyed coming. Oh, that's great. Thanks. Um, now, before I let you go, do tell our listeners where they can find you and follow you online and where they can get your book. Okay, so I'm on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Julie Atherton SW. Um, my website is um, small-wonder.co.uk and you can find my book at Kogan Page, which is um, koganpage.com backslash SMS. And if you use the code FMKSMS20, you can get 20% off. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. It's a pride of place on my office shelf. So thanks. Um, Well, thank you very much, Julie, and all the best. And I really appreciate your time uh, sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Myself and all the team at the DMI would really, really appreciate that. And it would help us get the podcast to more people hoping to learn more about digital marketing. So thanks again for listening. Take care and I will see you soon.